The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Our scripture this morning is going to be Philippians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. That'll be page 981 in the Pew Bible. I say again, Philippians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. And that every tongue shall should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring or complaining, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I might have cause to glory because I did not run in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the service and sacrifice of your faith, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the thrill of being able to hear it preached, uh, to hear it from you through this this book by your spirit into our minds and to our hearts. And, and we pray, Lord, as we come together now to consider what your word says, that your spirit would be here with us richly to uh, do more in us than I or anybody could do with just a speech, but that you would speak with the power of your word um, and it would become real in our minds and our hearts and our lives. That's what we need, Lord. So have mercy on us, give us clarity uh, give us submission, give us faith to trust what you're saying and to be changed by it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So imagine you're in a plane. The turbulence gets worse. You're thinking, oh, it's just turbulence. Oh, you look out the window. No. And engine's out. And it hits you. You think, this might be it. This might be the end. What are your fears right then and there? What would go through your mind? You might be afraid of death itself. Uh, you might be afraid of losing your hopes for the future. For me, I think the worst thing would be leaving the relationships that are most important to me. But I would fear all of those things. But imagine the pilot in the cabin, really good at what he does, and he's able to heroically rescue that plane. You land safely. With relief, you were saved. What were you saved from? You were saved from death in flames. You were saved from the loss of those relationships. You'd be so thankful for that. But what were you saved to? Because your story didn't end there with the plane landing. The, the, what's beautiful about it is your story continued. What are you saved to? One more hug, one more smile, a life to live, people to love. It's worth seeing both sides of the salvation experience saved from, but also 
saved to. And in a way, isn't it true, the saved to is sweeter? It's worth seeing in the Christian life. If you're a Christian today, you know, we know we're sinners and on our own, we're in trouble. There's God's law. We have not kept it. He's just. We deserve his wrath. And so, aren't you thankful for what you're saved from? Wow. I'm so, I'm, I'm so thankful to be saved from alienation from God, not loving him, not knowing him, not wanting him. And I'm so thankful to be saved from the threat of his eternal justice forever. That's real. Never wanted to mean that. But what are you saved to? What now? That was beautiful, saved from. But it's not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. What are you saved to? For some strange reason, it's horribly easy for Christians to overlook this saved to aspect of our salvation. I think a constant challenge for the Christian life is to appreciate more and more and engage more deeply into what we've been saved to. We get stuck, don't we? Stuck in a rut when we think Christianity means, uh, you know, I've been saved from my sin, and now I try to hit church when I have time. Saved too. Is that it? There's got to be more than that, right? There is more, infinitely more. We haven't just been saved from the worst as Christians. We've been saved to the very best as Christians. So we're continuing through our study through this incredible letter, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Last week, we looked at that just awesome passage regarding who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Do you remember? The eternal son of God in the very form of God. Remember that? Existing from all eternity and glory. And then that, that Greek word we tried to explore, kenosis, he emptied himself by becoming human as well. One person with two natures, divine and human, becoming truly human so that he could be obedient to his father to the point of a cross and serve and save us. And now he's resurrected from the dead. He's risen. He reigns as Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's hard to leave that passage. If someone was like, here's your challenge. Preach on that passage for six months. I think that could be done. It's so beautiful. But we're going to move on. Look at the first word of verse 12. What's the first word of chapter 2, verse 12? Therefore. So what is this entire section about? Hey, Jesus, who he is, what he's done. That's what we call the gospel, the beautiful news of who Jesus is, what he's done. Jesus He's an explosion that makes waves. He, he, he has an effect. Jesus, because of who he is and what he's done, therefore, now this, now this. So if you believe this incredible news about Jesus and what he's done, this passage is an echo of, okay, save two. Save two. This is part of that new life. This is a picture of what's next for you. This is the result of trusting that great news about Jesus. So this passage, of course, doesn't say everything, but it says some really important things about it, what, it, what, what begins with salvation, the rest of the story, what we're saved to. I'm just going to do uh, three points with us this morning. Number one, I hope we see we're saved to partner humbly. You're saved to partner humbly. Number two, you're saved to shine genuinely. Shine genuinely. And number three, saved to cling joyfully. 
Partner humbly, shine genuinely, cling joyfully. We'll take our first idea here from verses 12 to 13. And you see the main call in these two verses is at the end of 12 where Paul writes, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. So what are you saved to? Here, you trust Christ. What do you, what do you start next? Here's one way to say it. What, what, what are you called to do? What are you enabled to do? Get to work. Get to work on your own salvation. Now, what does this mean? The word work here is worth investigating a little bit. It means a continuous process of cultivation of a project that's already started. You're not creating it from scratch. But you're in a continuous process now of, I don't want to use the word tinker because maybe it's too low level, but have you ever had a hobby where you're always kind of going back and looking at it again? Uh, you love to fish and you're always looking at, at your rod and your reel again, or you're, you, you love cars and you're going back to it, you, you can make this a little better, or you love to cook and you, you're, you're going back to it continually to, 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 to take it to the next level. Because you love this and you're into it. You're, you're, you're working on this. That's that, the idea of that word. Let's take it to maturity, to, to completion. Let's, let's, let's make it more of what it should be. Work out your salvation. Now here we take a step back. Whoa, Matt, for 15 years you've been telling me I'm not saved by my works. And let me just tell you again, that is so correct. <laughs> Praise God. That's why we start with that first song. All that we can say is... Amen. Okay. Think of all the aspects of your salvation you had nothing to do with. I really enjoy this part. Read Ephesians 1 and you'll see that God graciously chose to adopt you before the world was made. Tell me how much work you did for that one. Zero. Number two, God sent his son as a substitute for you. How much work did you do for that one? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? As if you could. Hey, Father, send your son to live and die for me. It's a plan of mine. I came here to convince you of that. Are you kidding me? Impossible. Ridiculous. There's no way. You had nothing to do with that. In fact, everything about us was screaming for him to do the opposite. That's what he did. He sent his son. And this is what the son did. The son emptied himself and took on flesh. And he lived a perfect life for you. That's not your work. That is his work. And he died on the cross for all your sins, past, present, future. That is his work. You didn't do anything for that. You couldn't. Praise God. He sent his spirit to wake you up. Some of you, your salvation story is more of an adult. You remember all those years you didn't care. All those years you wouldn't believe. And then you're hearing it and something's happening. All of a sudden, it's like the light goes on. It's like the hearts change. And you, I, I want this. I need this. You didn't do that either. The Holy Spirit came to you to apply what the Son has done because the Father sent the Son to do it. None of this is your work. But now you're awake. Hey, what do babies do when they, when they start when they get out, you know, they start breathing. They start, they start screaming. They start eating because they're alive, and so now they need to live because they're alive. They're, they've been born to something. Let's go. And that's when, you know, Paul says, as you've always obeyed, keep obeying. You're alive, so live. You've been saved too. The next aspect of your salvation, as we're going to see, is what, you know, the theological term would be sanctification. Where this project that's already started of what God has done and is doing and will do for you, this project that has already started, you're now into this and you want to you tinker with this. You, you want to look at this. You want to study this. You want to own it. You want to work on it. You're participating now 
with what God is doing. And I think this is so amazing. God is inviting you to partner with him in what he's doing in your salvation. He's inviting you to partner with him. Work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's why I said to partner humbly. Number one, just how do you feel about the idea that God wants to partner with you on anything? Have you ever partnered with somebody who's much better than you at something? Somebody's great at basketball, picks you to be on their team. I don't know if that's ringing with this crowd at all. Somebody, somebody who's notable to you in some way says, I want to include you in this. I think of, uh, I think of little Zeke, my four-year-old, wanting to do something with Dad. You know, I'm going to help you, Dad. You ever carried something heavy and your toddler's going to help and he kind of lays his hand on it, you know? <laughs> I'm helping you. What a thrill. Can you imagine God coming to you and saying, hey, I want you to work with me on something? Me? That's exactly what he's saying right now from this passage. I want you to work with me on something. Partner humbly. How do you feel about that? Just be awake to that. Look at Psalm 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. That, that always boggles my mind. What was that second word? The what of the Lord? Friendship. Wow. To be friends, to know and enjoy one another, and, and friendship is usually focused on something out there that you do together. Let's do this together. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. You trust Christ, you fear him, you respect him, you revere him. He makes known to you his covenant. So he's telling you, this is what I'm up to. This is what I want. Come on and partner with me. And we partner humbly. We're, we're thrilled. Uh, it also says, work out your salvation with, and then what's that next phrase? Kind of, kind of famous. With fear and trembling. It's another way we partner humbly. Now, what kind of fear is this? Is this work out your salvation because if you don't work it out right, you're not saved? That would make absolutely no sense. Because what does it say? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is at work in you. No, he's working in you. The only reason you could work out your salvation is because of all the salvation he has accomplished you had nothing to do with. That is applied to you. This does not earn your salvation in any way, shape, or form. The idea is you, you can do this because it is happening. He called these people beloved. He doesn't say, hey, you might be loved if you work out your salvation good enough. That's not Christianity. That's every other religion. Try harder and maybe you'll make it. Christianity says you're hopeless. Look to him and he made it for you. Now because he's made it for you, you you're loved. And work on what he's already doing. So what does it mean to work with fear and trembling? Hey, there is a reverence, right? God, the holy God, is working with you. And it's not an option either. If you are saved, what will you do? You'll work on it somehow. It'll matter to you. If you're alive, you'll live. There's a reverence there, but it's, the word, I think, means more of like a nervous expectation before a challenge that you care about, but it feels like too much for you. I did a funeral last week. It was a challenge I cared about, and it felt like way too much for me. How do you feel right before you get up to do that? I really want to do this well, and I don't think I can do it. 
And then what do you say in your heart? Help me. Help me. I need your help. I need your help. I really want to do this. It's important to me, but I need your help. Work it out like that. God, I need your help. And it's not just that we work it out humbly because of this great privilege it is to partner with God or because of this reverence we feel about how important this is and we need him for it. It's also the idea that you partner humbly together as a community. You know, one way, you've heard this verse before, right? It's kind of a famous verse. We tend to read it and think about it, especially as Americans, individualistically. You go in that corner and you work out your salvation. I don't want to demean the individualistic part, right? It's hard to be a community that works out their salvation if none of the individuals are doing that. <laughs> Won't work. But very much in the flavor of this chapter is unity and participation with one another. And, he, and, and, and that's the way the Greek is working. These are plural words. That's the way this phrase is used, work out yourself. The, the fear and trembling phrase, you read that in the rest of the New Testament, that's a community phrase. So it's not just... You know, work out your salvation humbly because it's a privilege, it is, or because there's reverence, but also because we need one another to work out our salvation. Work out your church's experience of salvation. That's where this is going to go. Because God is at work. God is at work to will and to work for his pleasure. The word for God's work is a little different from that first word. You guys work out your salvation. God's work is a little different. It's this idea of the energy behind the work. The motivation, the power, the inspiration, the desire, the oomph. God is working in you to work. This is a, the deepest partnership you'll ever experience. You can partner with a, with a friend, with your spouse, with, with all sorts of people and all sorts of things. But this partnership goes so deep. God is in you to work. And, and look at what he's doing. Did you see the language? He's in you to work, to will for his good pleasure. To will for his good pleasure. So what is God doing in you? What does he want to change? He wants to change what you want. This is the power of the Christian life. He's going to change what you want, what you love most, and how you love it. This is a theme of Philippians. Remember that prayer in chapter 1? I pray that your love would abound with uh, knowledge and discernment, that you may approve what is excellent. I want you to love what is beautiful. So God is saying, I'm changing what you want for my pleasure. I'm changing you to love what I love. I want you to value what I value. Prioritize what I prioritize. I want to change that heart of yours. Work with me. Isn't that amazing? Work with me. You've heard the phrase, uh, don't go against the grain. How does this work, right? You, you rub certain fish the wrong way. You go with them slick, you go the other way. Ah, you know, you're, you're wood, woodworking. I have no idea about woodworking. But I think it's important, something with the grain, right? You, you can go with it or against it. With it is a, with, with the flow, against it is destruction. Are you, are you in the grain with what God is doing in your life? You, you imagine a kid going out to the garage to do woodworking with his grandpa. And his grandpa's got this project started. And the kid's investing and learning. And then all of a sudden he's pouring out the marbles or pulling things off the shelf. And the, and the grandpa is, hey, come, come do the project with me. God has a project he's doing in you. 
to change what you love? How often are you kicking stuff around in the corner? He's saying, work with me. Come and partner with me. Too often I'm, I'm off on something else. Get in the grain of what God is doing in your life, church. Get in the flow. Look to see what he wants and work it out to, try to, to, to grow in loving what he loves. That's another one. It's not just to will for his pleasure. It's to work for his pleasure. And Paul says, just as you've always, always obeyed, continue. What's that word? Obey. Is that, is that what God wants for you? Think of how these two things go together. He wants to will for his good pleasure, change what you love, and then he wants to change your behavior to work for his good pleasure. Do you think it's important that the desire change comes before the action change? Think of uh, Psalm 100. Serve the Lord with, can anyone tell me? Gladness. First John will uh, talk about how um, when, you're, when you're really in the grain with what God is doing, his commands aren't burdensome. What a huge... He's saying, you're, you're saved to not just keep God's commands like it's a heavy backpack. And I don't really want to do this. I just hope it's enough. Maybe God will love me someday. That's not what you're saved to. You're saved to be so transformed that you love what God loves to the point where obedience is a joy and a thrill because it's beautiful to you. You want it. Isn't that so different when you do something because you love it, not just because you have to? Now, in your process of salvation, your desires are screwed up. Sometimes doing it because you have to is the best you've got. It's still better to keep doing it, all right? <laughs> Let's not be the, well, I didn't obey God because my heart wasn't in it. That's no good. But as you want to obey, what, are we always, what do we want to work with? God, change my heart to I love this. I want this. It's natural. It's, it, it, it comes out of me. That's what he's doing. Jump in. Join him. Partner with God in what he's doing. Humbly, you're amazed at the privilege. Humbly, you're, you have reverence that this is so important. You can't do it. You need him. Humbly, because we do it together. And that takes us to our next point. You're saved to partner humbly with God in what he's doing. You're saved to shine genuinely. Shine genuinely. What I mean by that? Well, start with verse 15. The core of verses 14 to 15, again, is not, hey, if you guys do this right, maybe one day you can be children of God. Imagine if we lived like that. Oh, there's some of you who are so faithful and so obedient. You're, you're like Pinocchio. You know, you're almost there. You're almost a real boy. The rest of you, eh, still pretty wooden, you know. Is that, is that gospel logic? Hey, do this right, and one day you'll be a child. That's anti-gospel. Through faith in the work of Christ, faith alone, by God's grace alone, you are a child of God. This passage is saying, if you're a child of God, since you're a child of God, be who you are. Be genuinely who you are in how you think and how you live. Learn to be who you are. That is Christian sanctification. Be who you are. He's called them beloved. How many times does Paul use this for the church? Beloved. I almost can't say it. I should say it. I, I don't feel like I'm have enough integrity to say it, it sounds weird, but what if I called you all the time? Hey, beloved, maybe I should do that, just practice it, beloved. What is this strange title? This strange title that Christians have. What do the apostles call them? The best word I have for you, the apostles would say is, people who are loved. That's what you are. That's what you're known by. Someone has loved you. Beloved. 
Why is this who you are? How can you say this? You know, sometimes it seems like so many Christians sing about God's love, and I'm, I'm kind of with them, and I, I, I want to hear, why do you know this? Sometimes the attitude seems to be, well, of course he loves me. Have you, have you seen my bio? <laughs> of course he loves me. Have you, I'm a good person. Of course he, that's not what the Bible says. That's not true. That's not real. Who are you, and how much are you loved? How would you answer that, and why? This is real nitty-gritty stuff. Who are you? It's not this external stuff, ultimately. It's not your place at work or, or how you look or how old you are or your hobbies or your personality. That's, 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 that's not the core thing. And the way the Christian answers this is, who am I? I am a child of the Father in heaven. I am a sister. I am a brother of the eternal Son of God. That's who I am. Are you loved? Yes, why? What, what do you boast in for that? What do you look to for that? How do you know you're loved? It's not because I'm a good person. It's not because I deserve it. It's not because how do you know? Why? What's your ground for this? What did we sing? All my wealth is in the cross. That's how I know. That's how I know. I'm a child of God through what Jesus has done for me in the cross. And now that I know this, I want to be who I am. Look at what God is doing in you, Romans 8, 28. What's God's will for my life? I'm about to tell you. Did you ever wonder that? What's God's will for what? Here it comes. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You've heard that before, right? And sometimes we think, I'm loved by God. When does my lottery ticket hit? Said all things work for good. God might have a different definition on good. In fact, I'm sure he does. Look what his definition of good is. It's far better than anything we can invent. Those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And here's his purpose, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become what? Conformed to the image of his Son. You have been made a child of God through Jesus Christ, and now God's goal for you is to look like Jesus Christ. And of course, that is entirely an issue of character, of the mind, of the heart, what you love and how you live. You are to take on the family resemblance that you have inherited Think of the issue of adopted, right? That's a, that, that's a picture of the gospel in Christianity. I was a stranger. I was hostile. I was an outsider. And God, through the cross, has adopted me. And so I'm now I'm yanked out of that other world, that other culture, that other way of thinking. And I'm dragged into his living room, his kingdom. I have a new father. And now I'm learning the culture and the language and the values of this new home. I am fully a son from the moment of adoption. But I haven't figured out the family flow yet that's where we're at as Christians these adopted people brought into the living room we are loved we are accepted God is our father look like the older brother that's who we are so Paul here in Philippians says you should be blameless innocent it's a clean heart it's a righteous life pleasing to God it's wanting what our father loves and living out what the son, who the son is and what he's done for us. This last, this last word, this 
uh, that you may be blameless and innocent. And he says, without blemish. That's where I got the idea of genuine. Shine genuinely. So this word represents, uh, it could be used for wine that's undiluted. It's the real thing. Or, or metal that's unalloyed. It's, it's simplicity. It's purity. Because so I think of my life. I'm, who am I? Right? How, how do I answer that? How do I feel that? Well, let me, this, this is what I believe. Because of what Christ has done for me, I'm a child of God. Okay, now how genuinely do I live that out in various situations? Right? You get it. You know. Um, sometimes it's really shining. And other times, I forgot my name. I forgot who I was. I didn't know it. There's, there's some books we love, really love as a family by a guy named Andrew Peterson. And one of the main characters, he, he loses his, his strength and his courage, and he, he's a coward, and he falls into evil and becomes warped in this story. It's a great set of books if you want to talk to me about it later. But through the love of his family, he's restored, but he still constantly struggles with this pull to go back to that warped, evil thing. And what his family always tells him is, remember who you are. And they'll say to him, when he's, when he's going wild, they'll say to him, what's your name? What's your name? And he'll snap out of it and remember, oh, this is who I am. And it pulls him back. It's exactly the purpose of this passage. Who are you? What's your name? Are you shining who you are? How do we do that? Well, now it's going to get real practical. To be a genuine child of God. This is what it looks like in community. Look at verse 14. Do, tell me the next two words. All things. And what do you think the Greek means there? You know, sometimes all means all and not all. But what do you think it means right here? All. Help me out, Bible scholars. We're going to go with all. Yeah. Do all things without, without what? Grumbling or disputing. Would you go to heaven if the only law was no grumbling and complaining? <laughs> One command. Just no grumbling and complaining. Would you go to heaven? I am... <laughs> I'm in hell with all of you. <laughs> but this is who you are now. Why is it different? You remember who you are last week? He says, don't, don't be conceited last week. Remember, we, we tried to unpack that Greek word. It was kino doxa, empty glory. Why are we always fighting one another, scrapping with one another, looking for votes from one another? Why are we disputing? It's because inwardly our glory's empty. It's vain. It's smoke. It's worthless. And we know that. So we got to create it. We got to build it. We got to go after it. And it leads to fights. It leads to insecurity. It leads to pride. It leads to divisions. And I'm thinking when I live like that, what's your name? My name is I got to fight for it myself because I'm broken. I don't have any hope but me. <laughs> Read the passage again. What's your name? I'm a child of God. What would that do to your grumbling? When you're complaining, why are you complaining? You're feeling like there's no God, and if there is one, he's terrible. He's left you in this mess. And it's up to you now. Or he's put you in this room with these terrible people, and they're ridiculous. And if they only knew it like you knew it, because you're, you're relying on your glory, you, you forgot your name. You forgot who you are. Shine genuinely do nothing from grumbling this word reminds me of like the purring of an evil cat it's a low rumble and and in context it's really about the behind the scenes negative comments you make about others in your community 
It's the behind the scenes negative comments you make about others in your community to people in your community. So let the Lord work on you right now. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Some of you, even this week, maybe it was this morning, maybe it was last Sunday, right after the service, you might have talked trash to one person in this church about another person in this church. I bet you've all done it at some point. I have. Why'd you do that? Did it accomplish something amazing? Did you accomplish something great with that? Did it change everything for the better when you did that? Why'd you do that? Because you forgot who you are. And you went back to empty glory living. We gotta build yourself up and you gotta tear others down. What's your name? Child of God. How? By grace through faith in Christ. What's that person's name? Child of God, by grace through faith, because of what Christ has done. Do nothing from in grumbling or disputing. Remember your name. Remember. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Paul tells the Philippians not to dispute. The Philippians had division problems. There were so many good things about their church, but they had problems with unity. And I think Ephesians 4.29 helps us see this point. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Paul says to Christians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. There's another one of those words. Let how much corrupting talk? No. And in the Greek, no means no. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. It would just be a quieter place, wouldn't it? We'd hear the birds singing. Only as such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I'll resist unpacking that entire verse. It's awesome. But look at the way we're supposed to talk. What I want you to see is verse 30. And do not, what? Grieve the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit. How does he feel amazingly when we don't talk this way to one another? He's grieved. Why? Because that's not who we are. That's not what he's doing in us. It doesn't fit the grain of salvation. It's, and it's, it's the opposite of what our culture should be like. And it grieves him. Shine genuinely as who you are in Christ. Remember who you are and let that truth of who you are in the gospel define and come out in what you want, how you speak, how you relate, to one another. The way this church needs to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, these Philippians, is no more grumbling and disputing. They're living out what God is doing in them, and God is at work to move in them. He's at work in us too, isn't he? He's at work in us. Shine genuinely. So we see at the end of this section here, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, Children of God without blemish. There it is, a genuine picture of who you are. Children of God. How can it be that you have no blemish? Well, think about it again. In you yourself, do you have blemish? Yes, but you're in Christ. Any blemish in him? None. And so, so our salvation goes from justification. You have no blemish in Christ, even though you have multiple blemish in yourself. And in this journey, the blemish of yourself begins to Fade and become clean as you look more and more like the one you're in, Christ. 
Shine, and you'll shine. Won't we shine? Don't we shine when we live like that? What is the world full of? Grumbling, disputing, division, dissension, pride, hatred, gossip, complaining. How many of you in your workplace, it's just, that's what we do for a hobby. We complain. Would we look different? The more and more our genuine gospel selves shine, we're Complaining was gone. Would you stand out? Where there was no division but loving unity, would that be different? You'd shine like a light. That's exactly what the scripture says here. You shine like lights. And so this is even tied to evangelism. The greatest evangelist has gospel truth and gospel character. And when we have gospel character as a community, it shines. So, what are we saved to? Partner humbly. Second, shine genuinely. What's shining? Who you are. Who we are in Christ. Last one. Cling joyfully. Verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life. Said, in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I didn't run in vain or labor in vain. Paul is pleading with him here, isn't he? Don't let my work be a waste. Isn't that interesting? Don't let my work be a waste. Go back to Acts 16 and and look at how much work Paul did to share the gospel with these people. There's a lot of work, a lot of traveling, a lot of persecution, a little prison here and there, people hating him, wanting to kill him. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of investment. Don't let my work be in vain. Let it not be like I ran in vain. You know, sometimes we go to my son's swim meets and you'll see these kids swim these incredible events, pouring all their hearts out, and then they get out of the pool and they realize you're disqualified. Only had one hand touch the wall, and oh, the feeling after a several hundred yard breaststroke. Poured it out in vain. Or this other word that my labor would be in vain. It's the idea of working really hard on this cloth to make it fit. Or in a different context, it might be some construction idea. You've got this piece, and you get over there, and you, oh, after all this work, you're going to put it in, it's going to fit, and it doesn't fit. And all that work, all that money, it's gone. Don't let it be like this. Don't let this be a waste of time. How do we keep going? How do we live what we're saved to? Look at verse 16. What's this great phrase? The way you do it is this continual holding fast to the word of life. What do you think holding fast means? Is it casual? No, it's intense. Hang on to this with all your heart. Cling to it, and it's continually. You're continually holding fast. Hold fast to the what? The word of life. What does this phrase mean? Well, of course, It's God's word funneled into the core of his word, which is the gospel. The word of life is the gospel. It's the news of who Jesus is and what he has done. What should you do with the gospel, church, if you want to live the life God has given you to live? Hold fast. And Paul says, if you do that, I can boast and celebrate forever, not on what he's done, and what God has done in them. This is the way you keep going. Hold to the gospel. Don't ever think that when we talk about being saved to new life, we're like, oh, I did the gospel, and now I'm finishing and moving on to greater things. 
that is foolish, that's impossible, it's destructive. The, the, the magic, the power for the Christian life is tasting and enjoying and seeing and looking at the gospel yet again. Yet again. You're saved to cling joyfully to the gospel. It's the word of life. Look how Paul will talk in Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Look at how he talks about his relationship to this truth of the gospel. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. This idea, right? The old self is, is gone. It's dead. I have an entirely new life here. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Imagine this is the first time you ever heard that. You get this huge view of Christ. And then you're told, and he lives in you. Does your jaw drop to the ground? Christ lives in you. He's there by his spirit. And he says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now pay attention to this language. Who loves me? Is that what he said? Who loves me? Would it be wrong for Paul to say, the Son of God loves me? No, it's not wrong. Does Jesus love you right now? Yes, 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 he loves you more than you can imagine. But that's not what Paul said here, is it? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. What's that mean? Past tense. Who loved me and gave himself for me. What's Paul thinking about? The cross. The life I live now. I live by faith in the Son of God and what he did because that's the anchor his life his death his resurrection because when you doubt his love where are you going to look the cross when you see his commitment for you the cross and when you see the character that needs to come out of you the cross he gave himself up for you and because you have everything you need in him now you can give yourself up in both sanctification, obedience, and in loving others. This is it. You're saved to cling joyfully to the message of the gospel. And then Paul says, let's rejoice together. Don't you love this last line? I'm glad and rejoice with you all. You should be glad and rejoice with me. I mean, what are they doing here? Yeah. So excited. It's real. It's not just fake Waxy stuff. It's real joy. And then he says, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, I rejoice. And most of us are thinking, I don't know what that means. What's he saying? Well, it would be kind of common knowledge, both from Old Testament sacrifices and even some pagan ones, that as you completed the sacrifice of an animal, kind of at the end, there would be a drink offering on or around it. It finished it off. There were aspects to the sacrifice. And it finished it off. It made it complete. And so you back up and you think, what's he doing? And you realize, who, who does Paul love, right? Who gives him joy? Jesus. To, to die is gain, Paul said. I just want to be with Jesus. To live is Christ. I want him to be honored. He's my joy. I want him to be seen in everything. And that takes him to, to Philippi. And what does he tell these people about? Jesus, and, and what happens to some of, some of them? 
They say, oh, he's, he's the greatest. He's my joy. Look at what he's done for me. To die is gain. I, I want to be with him. And to live is Christ. I want to honor him. And, and how is this working together? Paul was poured out in some way for them. And then as he says here, as we cling to the gospel together, we're, Jesus was poured out for us to fill us with what we need. And so we, therefore, in a lesser way, are poured out for him and for one another. And it's like a toast at a wedding. The joyful toast to our Lord who has loved us and who has saved us. And we serve him and love one another together. This is what you're saved to. It's what you're saved to. Joy in Christ together as we live out the reality of what he has done for us. What do you say to church? Go over it one more time so you remember. Partner humbly. God is at work in you. What should you be doing with him? Work. Work on it. Partner humbly. Shine genuinely. Who are you? You're a child of God through Jesus Christ. Let the genuineness of who he has made you to be shine more and more brightly in every part of your life. Partner humbly, shine brightly, genuinely. And the third one is what? Cling joyfully. Cling to what? Cling to that gospel. Cling to that gospel. As Christ was poured out for you then, then you'll be willing to be poured out for him, poured out for his people. That's part of what we're saved too. Couple questions. Number one, are you saved at all? Are you saved? Just want to ask you, are you saved? Have you come to terms with who you are before God and His law? Do you know with a deep knowledge that you need to be saved? You need to be saved from a just and holy God. Are you saved? There's, this is the way to be saved. Don't try to fix yourself, don't try to distract yourself with something else. Look to Jesus. Trust in who he is and what he has done. Put your faith in him and that's enough. And you'll be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in that moment of faith, you're realizing that you're in the story that God has had for you for a long time. Chose you, sent his son for you, and now he's waking you up. Are you saved? I hope you're saved. If you're saved, what are you saved to? Are you going after it? Do you want it? Are you working because you know God is at work? Let's strive to rejoice in who we are and let that shine brightly for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just give you praise for this incredible salvation that we could never deserve, we could never earn, but you have done it for us. You have done it, and you're still at work. You haven't forgotten us. You haven't left us. You're using every situation to form us, to make us more like your son. Lord, help that be our joy. Help it be our goal, our desire to be like Jesus, to enjoy him, to value him, to rejoice in him, and to do that together. Lord, we thank you that we here at Fountain of Life, we can be an offering for your pleasure and for your glory together as we cling to the gospel. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.